0: In your Bible again, Judges chapter 12, and we read again verse 7 through 15, closing this chapter, Judges chapter 12, and Jephthah judged Israel six years, then died Jephthah, the Buried in one of the cities of Gilead. And after him, Ibzon Ibzon of Bethlehem judged Israel. And he had 30 sons and 30 daughters. Whom he sent abroad. And took in 30 daughters from abroad for his sons. And he judged Israel seven years. Then died, Ibzon, and was buried at Bethlehem. And after him, Elon, the Zebulonite, Zebulonite judged Israel. And he judged Israel ten years. And Elon of Zebulonite died and was buried in Ijallam in the country of Zebulon. And after him, Abdon, the son of Hilal, a Pyrethonite, judged Israel. And he had forty sons. And thirty sons' sons. If you'll notice the marginal reading in your King James Version, we would say grandsons, but the Hebrew is literally sons' sons. He had forty sons and thirty grandsons that rode on three score and ten asses, ass colts, and he judged Israel eight years. And Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirathonite, died and was buried in Pirathon in the land of Ephraim. In the Mount of the Amalekites. Turn with me again, please, in your hymn book. Stand with me and sing with me hymn number 531. Here at thy cross incarnate God, I lie my soul beneath thy love, beneath the droppings of thy blood, nor shall it, Jesus. Every should worlds conspire to drive me this unmoved and firm this heart should lie resolved for that, my last defense is perish there to die but speak my Lord and calm my fear am I not safe beneath thy shame thy justice will not strike me there nor Satan dare my soul in vain Yes, I'm secure beneath thy blood, and all my foes shall lose their aim. Hosanna to my sin, seated. Well, there's peace in the valley for Israel for now in the verses that we read. We've arrived finally In our study of this twelfth chapter to these last nine verses, verse 7 through 15. I hope that the lessons we have reaped from the sorrow-filled life of this man, Jephthah, I hope that these lessons have been of great depth. Penetrating depth and of value to our souls. In passing through those varied scenes, we have harvested much that will instruct us with wisdom as we sojourn through this Waii Latrimerum, Valley of Tears. But now, coming to this seventh verse, Jephthah is gone. Jephthah judged Israel six years, then died. Then died Jephthah. We come to this seventh verse and Jephthah is gone. Jephthah is no more. And now in rapid succession, in no less than, in rapid succession, no less than three more judges of Israel pass before our eyes in only seven verses. They rise, they reign, they perish, and they're buried. In a portion of scripture whose reading may be accomplished easily in only 45 seconds. I confess that when I first set out some time ago to study these verses. This passage like so many others before in our studies seemed to be. A desert wasteland to me. And as usual. I could not have been. More wrong in my perception. Here again. Is a rich mine Of scripture jewels. I give them to you this morning. In no order. But that in which they. Presented themselves to my own soul. In the first instance. I would set before your mind. Number one. What a vast difference. God makes. Between men's lives. What a vast difference. God makes. Between different men's. Among different men's lives. In the case of Ibzan. Verse 9. He had 30 sons. And 30 daughters. And 30 daughter-in-laws. That are mentioned. While the man Abdon. In verse 14 had. 40 sons, and 30 grandsons, which amounts to at least 90 beloved offspring in the case of Gibzain And 70 in the case of Abdon, which is a total of at least 160 in the lives of only two men whose life record in the scripture occupied no more than four verses. A 160 in only two men recorded in only Four verses. And in contrast, we cast our eyes backward to see that blessed Jeff, whose record occupied 47 verses in two chapters, and he had only one child, and that a daughter. And that child was lost to him forever. With no posterity left to bear his name at all. No seed. No namesake. No lineage. Oh, all I can say of it is this. What a marvelous difference. Our God has cast among the lives of His people. What a marvelous and astounding difference our God makes among His people. Oh, in this iniquitous age of egalitarian homogenization, this thought is deemed intolerable. That is, that God would make any difference. (laughs) But it is so, nonetheless, whatever this age may say, our God is the author, indeed, of diversity. And in the infinitude of his unsearchable wisdom, he has ordered men's lives in an astounding array of kaleidoscope diversity. Even in the natural world, we see that. Do we not? Our God will rain down... Billions of snowflakes and never any two of them be alike. As Wilson A. Bentley, the photographer, proved in the early 1900s. If a single inanimate droplet of crystalline water is subject to such In finite diversity. What can our God do. In the materials of a living man. Made in his own image. (laughs) Oh listen. He may have a David. Who may say in Psalm 16 verse 5 and 6. Oh the Lord is a portion of mine inheritance. And. My cup, thou maintainest my light. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Oh yes, he may have a David who can cry out at one time, Oh, the Lord is my cup, the Lord my inheritance. The Lord is precious. He maintains my lot. He's given my lines in pleasant places. While in another time, He may have a Job in chapter 14 and verse 1 who says, Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. Even within Job's own lifetime. What a diversity. We see a great man with great possessions taken down to the loss of everything but his life. Even his health Lost in all and then restored in one lifetime, we see the great diversity that God can bring to men. Oh, the multiplied diversities of our God in the affairs of men's lives. Surely no one has captured this truth in simple form better than that blessed Cecil Francis Alexander. Somewhere around 1860, she was married to the Rev. William Alexander of the Anglican Church of Ireland, and in 1848, she set about to write a poem that would help her husband's parishioners' children to learn their catechism. You know the poem well, all things bright and beautiful, all things great and small, all things wise and wonderful, the Lord God hath made them all. This blessed pastor's wife took up her pen. And when she got to that third verse, which is now officially and legally removed by British Parliament, From her poem. She wrote these words. The rich man in his castle. The poor man at his gate. God made them. High and lowly. And ordered their estate. (laughs) How well she knew this doctrine that I'm talking about this morning. How well she knew that God ordered the lives of men. God did it. And he did it with great diversity. This blessed pastor's wife knew well the truth that our text would teach us this morning. Here's a lesson, surely. Whatever your lot may be, Be it ever as glorious as Abdon, or as stark and sorrowful as Jephthah. Charge not God with folly in his infinite wisdom and goodness, but rejoice in the multitude of his mercies. How often do I cast dispersions on God's wisdom when He casts my lot in a hard place? But it is God to do, it is for God to do, to do as He pleases in His infinite wisdom. All those of us who have, those of us who do today, Experience his mercies in oceans overflowing our heads daily. Let us live in constant praise to his glory. But for those who feel the sorrows and trials of pains, unrelenting sting, let them equally resign their wills to his sovereign dispatches. We are not the victims of fate. the objects of our God's attention Jephthah kept on with his faithfulness to God even in the hard places oh I know that our flesh would rebel our flesh would withhold his praise when in his providence we are the beggar at the gate that Mrs. Alexander talked about. Oh, it's easy to accept his providence when you're the rich man in his palace. But when God makes you the beggar at his gate, it's hard. Oh, how gloriously Adolphe Mono speaks Literally, from his deathbed in his death chamber in 1858. He said these words to his congregation from his bed. He says, alas, we cannot do this of ourselves. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he says the moment after we have raised up to heaven by the simple words of the gospel, our miserable flesh draws us, as it were, down again. Taking us by the feet, it pulls us toward her. Binding us there by the weight of pain. My friends, this is the warfare of our whole life. It is the warfare of life. It is the warfare of death. This constant warfare between praising God and His wisdom when we're Jephthah as well as when we are these other men in another place. This dear pastor said, Alas, crying out, from pain on his deathbed, he said, "Alas, it's easy to sing and to preach any time that faith should triumph over everything else, but when we are called to single combat with the enemy, when we have all to obtain, when we are called to follow Jesus Christ." In the morning into the desert. In the evening into Gethsemane. And into the afternoon to Golgotha. We feel that it's difficult. Indeed. Difficult. But his is the wisdom of a sovereign And the compassion of a mother. God will have it so. Diversity. Among his sheep. Diversity. All this listing of these sons and daughters surely brings our hearts to this glaring contrast with Jephthah. Well, oh, I could spend an entire sermon most easily here, but I must move on in my text. I would bring before your heart secondly this morning. I'd set before your mind here the unpretentious, but nevertheless clear reference to godly order in marriage. <laughs> Verse nine. Speaking of Ibzan, said he had 30 sons and 30 daughters whom he sent abroad and took in 30 daughters from abroad for his sons. Now know this, when it speaks of from abroad, I'm not talking about another country. Talking about among the covenant people of Israel, but from another location. I said there is a lesson here in godly order in marriage. The lesson could not be more clear if I may but put it in my own words. The wife is to be absorbed into the husband's Family, and he is to make for her a home. Simple, isn't it? Simple. And yet our modern culture has so clouded the waters that it is not so. This is God's order from the very first pair. Genesis chapter 24, we hear these words. Genesis 24. By the way, what a beautiful scene. What a beautiful scene this is in Genesis chapter 24. When Isaac, the servant, seeks for Isaac, his wife, and we read these words. In verse 63, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide. And he lifted up his eyes, and he saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. She saw Isaac lighted off the camel, and she said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother, Sarah's tent and took Rebekah she became his wife and he loved her and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. I'll say it again. The lesson here could not be more clear in verse 9 that the wife is to be absorbed. Into the husband's family. And he is to make for her. A home. This is God's order in that original pair. Oh how many young homes. In our day. Have been destroyed. Before they are yet well formed. Because this principle. Has been in violation. By the way. Just as a sidelight thought it was interesting in some of the Hebrew studies. They say that the Jews have always had and still have the belief that a father owes a son three things. (laughs) Number one the ability to read the law. That's owed to his sons. The ability to read the law. Number two Jews believe that a Father is obligated to give his son a trade. He's obligated to see that he's trained, fitted, to provide for his family. And thirdly, he's to give him a wife. thought that was an interesting note in Hebrew culture. So there is in verse 9... A statement made concerning marriage. Thirty sons, thirty daughters sent abroad. Thirty daughters brought from abroad to his sons. But now thirdly in our text, I would have us to learn a lesson from quiet times. There's a lesson from quiet times. You see, the life of Jephthah's days, coming down to verse 7 in this chapter, had been characterized by violent storms. First, there was the storm of exile. He was cast out of his own home. then there was the storm of Ammonite terrors. He lived in the wilderness, constantly in battle, striking here and there and every other place he could, striking the Ammonites. There was a constant threat in his life of these Ammonites' terror. Then after his restoration, there was the violent storm of this inter-tribal hatred that rose up. To crush him again. And of course we all remember and cannot forget. That violent storm. Of loss. The loss of his daughter. Oh reading this chapter down to verse 7. It is altogether a time of violence. A time of storms. A time of difficulty. But now we come to verse 7. And quiet. Reigns. Quiet reigns in the lives and administration of the next three judges in Israel. The total of these reigns is twenty-five years. In the span of twenty-five years, there was a change of government three times. And yet, quiet. And safety. Settled with healing on Israel. Like a cooling dew on a parched landscape. There was quiet in Israel. No record of any invasion. No record of any turmoil within. No record of any trouble. 25 years. Three administrations. Quiet. And it remained quiet I might add. Until. Sin reared its ugly head in chapter 13. Quiet reigns in the lives and administrations of Israel for the next three judges. One scholar has brought us the lesson from this and taught us well when he said, in his commentary, he said, but now there came quiet. Uneventful days both for Israel and his rulers. There is no mention of foreign foe or domestic discord. Scenes of family life take the place of martial muster and blood fighting. There's nothing to record, save how long the judges judged. And when they died and where they're buried. There's really nothing else to talk about. We infer indeed from the fact that there were judges. We infer safely the continual care of God for his people. From the absence of invasion and servitude, we infer that the people did not forsake God. But more than this, we do not know. But the reflection cannot but arise that it is not good for a people to be in continual strife and by the way when you look at those scenes on our news on our televisions the instigators of this war look at their history it is rife with violence and instigating trouble no peace for them. he said we're we reflect on this We can easily conclude that it's not good for people to be in continual strife. Struggles for supremacy over enemies without and conflict for the settlement of government at home should have their term and give way to the enjoyment of prosperity and peace. And then he says this, The happiest times in a nation's life are not always that shine the brightest on the pages of history. Just a few verses here. Covers three judges. Twenty-five years. Just a few verses. And so in the life, it is also in the life of the individual. Though the surface of his life be not ruffled, nor its tenor varied by any startling changes, there may be a hidden work of God going on in the soul more momentous than the gain or loss of fortunes or any vicissitudes of sickness and health. Faith may be waxing stronger and love may be burning brighter. Patience may be perfecting her work and the spirit of meekness may be steadily gaining ground over the spirit of wrath and endurance. The knowledge of Jesus Christ may be filling the field of the soul's vision. And the kingdom of heaven may be drawing nearer to the soul's embrace, and yet the outward life may be monotonous and uneventful. Anyhow, he says, whatever the case, let us use the calm and untempestuous moments for our life. To make undisturbed progress in the great business of our salvation. Use the quiet terms. We almost unthinkingly develop the attitude that we're only going to progress spiritually when some great horrendous thing is happening in our lives. But it ought not be so where quiet times, God brings us sometimes beside still waters. Quiet times. Use the quiet times to make progress in your soul. He said, and in the assurance of unwearied love, in the assurance of unwearied love in quiet times, let us pursue our own quiet round of meditation and prayer and praise. Great events and mighty deeds may figure on the page of history, but the soul's progress in holiness is worthy to be recorded by an angel's pen. Hallelujah. Make progress in the quiet time. May not be recorded in the books of history, but it's worthy to be recorded by the pens of angels when you're moving forward in the quiet times. Oh, may God help us. May God help us use the quiet times. Quickly now, I give you this final inescapable truth from the brief account contained here. And I give it to you from only three verses. Verse 10, verse 12, and verse 15. While men's lives may differ as we have seen, While times may change as they do, as we have seen. And while a diverse providence may color every new day. One thing and one thing only remains unchangeable and inviolable. Death. Verse ten. Then died Ibn. Verse twelve, and Elon died. Verse fifteen, and Abdon died. I'll say it again. While men's lives may differ, while times may change, while a diverse providence. May color every new day differently, one thing and one thing only remains unchanged and inviolable, death. Bush said, as to these several judges, the principal fact, the principal fact, Mention in regard to each is that he lived, that he acted as a judge, and that he died. Death, the lot of man, at last claims his due of the great and the good. And whatever else we may hear of any man, we shall be sure to hear one thing, that he died. That he died. Oh. (laughs) Can I just tell you. From James chapter 2 verse 23 and 24. That a man may be called. The friend of God. Abraham. And he may be. That man may be the recipient. Of his special covenant. As I read to you this morning. Nevertheless. In Genesis 25 and 8. We will read of that man that he gave up the ghost and died and was gathered to his people, to his fathers, in peace. Genesis fifteen. Oh, another man may be the glorious promised son of an Abraham, Isaac. But nevertheless, we'll find out in Genesis 35 and 29, he gave up a ghost and died and gathered, was gathered unto his people. Oh, yes, a man may be the father of all of Israel's tribes. Jacob, yet, we'll find out in Genesis 49:33, notwithstanding that exalted service in the work of God he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the goats oh a man may be used to lead the people of God into the promised land and claim it for Jehovah Joshua did yet we'll read in Judges 2 verses 8 and 10 He too died along with his entire generation. Oh, man may be called the apple of God's eye in Psalm 17 and verse 8. And he may crush all of God's enemies and claim the title as a sweet songster of Israel. Yet he too slept with his father's and was buried, 1 Kings 2 and verse ten. Oh, 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 man be a, may be a high priest of God with Moses as his companion, yet he too, we're told in Numbers 20, 23, he too is to be gathered unto his people and die there on the top of the mountain. Oh, indeed, indeed, a man may be God's supreme and singular lawgiver. He may speak to God face-to-face, Exodus thirty-three, eleven, as it were, and yet he too will go to the top of Pisgah and die, even if he must be buried. By God Himself in Deuteronomy 34. On and on and on I could go in this Bible. But I want you to understand one verse tells it all to us. Hebrews 9:27. It's appointed unto all men. Wants to die. To die. Surely this text this morning. Jumps out to shout in our face. These men die. Whatever diversity in their lives. Oh yes. Could I just take you a step further and tell you. Our blessed Lord. Came into this world. To die. That death may no longer reign. But until that glorious hour of final consummation, death, that final enemy, will take every man at last. Oh Ibsen Elon Abdon. If they could come before this congregation and stand in this place and testify to you, they would stand in the midst of this congregation this morning and testify that whatever your life may have been, you will die. You will die. You will die. I try so hard in the jail to bring this message. Men in jail are consumed with thoughts of some tomorrow. The day my, my attorney is going to come and meet with me. The day that the court is going to set for my trial so I can say my peace. The day when I can hear that door clang behind me and walk out of here. They're always thinking about someday out yonder. But they're not thinking about dying. They're going to die. They're going to die. And you're going to die. Genesis says, dying, ye shall die. For dust thou art, Genesis three nineteen. and unto dust shalt thou return. Oh, dear old Daniel Featley in 1660 called death in this verse the great leveler. This verse in Hebrews, he said it's the great leveler. He said it equals Servants and scepters, pen knives and swords, scholars and soldiers, captains and captives, princes and peasants, high and low, rich and poor, all alike are gonna die, he said. Oh says our text to us this morning All men die. I wonder, do we daily entertain it? Are we learning to die? Our text teaches it. Whatever else may be said about these men, their sons, their daughters, their grandsons, their daughter in laws, their posterity, the length of their reign, this is the common thread. They died. Whatever other providences may be in order in your life, this is sure you'll die. May God help us to learn all these and other things from this day. stand with me please. Turn to 493 and let's sing together. Sweet is the friendly voice which speaks the words of life and peace, bids the penitent rejoice, sin, sorrow, cease. Sweet is the friendly voice that speaks the words of life and peace, that makes the penitent rejoice and sing. blitz such pure delight in all. thou still